But I'm excited to bring the word this morning, but let me just pray, and then I want to preach with all my heart. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here. Holy Spirit, we do not want to um, operate um, or even try without knowing that you are here, Holy Spirit, and, and as your vessels, um, we just pray that, Holy Spirit, you would fill us um, to, to, to deliver the word as you would like us to deliver the word, and, and, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way in people's hearts this morning, and you would speak to people wherever they are, and whatever they're, Lord, um, confronting at the moment, that you would come and have an appointment with them, Holy Spirit. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, I want to preach a sermon I've titled, Abundant Joy. Abundant Joy. And, and uh, I want to open with uh, a verse. And before I do, actually, the verse I want to open with, John 10.10. 10. So a couple weeks ago, if you were here for Easter, we talked about the Good Shepherd. And his people, the sheep, well, it's, it's using the Good Shepherd as an example of an attribute, a description of our King the good shepherd, and his sheep, being those who are followers and believers of Jesus Christ, they know his voice. They know his voice. And when he calls, they know that it's him calling, and they come. And obviously in that passage, John 10, it also talks about Jesus being the door that the sheep walk in and out through, symbolizing the fact that there is only one way to God the Father, and that is through Jesus and through that entry, through him, through the door, we, we find nourishment and pasture. But the point is, there's a good shepherd, and those who believe in him know his voice. But there is also another voice, another, another uh, uh, character, if you will, in this, in this passage. And John 10.10 10 highlights this other uh, character called the devil, right? And what, what's his plan? So let me just read John 10.10. 10. It says this, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now let me pause there for a moment. It's important as believers of Jesus Christ, or if you're not a believer of Jesus Christ, if you don't know him yet, you will have an opportunity at the end of the service to understand that there is a thief that would want to steal, kill, and destroy you. Turn to somebody next to you and say that. That sucks. <laughs> that really sucks, right? That's not, that's not very nice at all. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And of course, abundantly means, what does it mean? It means in the sense of beyond, super abundant in quantity or superior in quality, by implication, excessive. Now, of course... Abundant life is not based upon, I shared this a couple of weeks ago, it's not based upon prosperity, right? Um, not on the, it's on the total being, right, of a person, including health and well-being in the body, mind, emotions, relationships, and eternal life. That is the abundant life that we are talking about, that he has come to give you life and life more abundantly. And who knows that, Part of that abundant life is abundant joy, abundant joy. And I want to speak about that for a moment. I want to discover you know, what it is that God wants us to possess and what it is that is often 
you know, as an, uh, an attack of the enemy to take away from us what he wants us to possess and what the enemy would love to rob us from because he's a, he's a thief, right? So this joy, let me establish to begin with, this joy has nothing to do with the house I live in. I mean, I like my home. Thank you, Sonny and Treng. The car I drive, um, if you're Caleb, maybe joy comes from the car you drive, but it doesn't come from, from my car, personally, right? I love my car. Did a very good job getting us to Queensland back. Praise the Lord. Lives another day. <laughs> it's nothing to do with the clothes I wear, right? This joy doesn't have to do any, anything to do with my, my, how I'm viewed in society, my, my status, or, or it's not to do with you know, how I'm liked. You know, obviously, that's a very important part of life these days. When you put something out on Facebook or any social media, you've got to be liked and loved. and it's, it's got nothing to do with that. It's not a superficial joy at all. I mean, this week, every one of my kids, from Michaela to Joseph, that's the youngest to the oldest, every one of them were sick. <laughs> and it wasn't an easy week, let me tell you that. Coming back from holidays, your laundry is overwhelming, right? And then chuck into the week, a week of, of, of kids being sick and the laundry from the holidays plus that. Let's just say, it wasn't... The easiest week, I, I'm telling you that. But I'm not talking about a joy that is superficial, that comes from a surface, surface value. No, no. The joy that I'm talking about, it's deeply rooted in knowing, knowing the truth. Knowing the truth. And not just knowing the truth, but living in the truth. Living in the truth, right? One thing to know, another thing to live. You'll discover soon that even the devil knows the truth and tries to use it against Jesus. But it's not just about knowing, it's about living in the truth. This truth that I'm speaking about, it is found in nothing but the Word of God. The Word of God which we build our life upon. The Word of God, it informs me this. Listen, it informs me that the presence of God is with me. That's, that's what my word informs me of. It informs me that my sins are forgiven. We're not carrying the weight of sin and shame, but you have been forgiven by Jesus Christ on the cross. I can live in peace that surpasses all understanding. This is the truth that I'm talking about. And this is where that deeply rooted joy comes from, comes from knowing the truth and living in the truth. My conscience is free. Living with a free conscience is a wonderful, wonderful thing to have as a believer in Jesus Christ. It's free. It's not weighed down by guilt and shame. But what is the purpose of this joy and why is it important? I love this, this, this verse in Proverbs 4.18. It says this, but the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. I, I, I reflect on something that Lukeman said last week that I, I really love. He talked about, are we the fragrance of Jesus or do we repel Jesus? The point is that I'm saying this, this joy on your life is that fragrance of Jesus on your life. Having an abundant joy that is not, it is not to do with 
our, our challenges or our, our difficulties, it is deeply rooted in him and his word and truth. So I'm talking about, are we the fragrance of him having that joy? You know, the thing about a perfect day, that verse says, it's such a beautiful verse, is that it, it affects everybody everywhere. Who's affected this morning by the weather out there, right? All of us, I've seen jackets, I've seen umbrellas, right? We are all impacted by this day. Such is the fact as well, when you have abundant joy on your life, it also impacts everybody everywhere. Like the scripture says, unto the perfect day, it affects everyone everywhere. It's meant to be attractive. It's meant to be the fragrance of Jesus, a part of the fragrance of Jesus. This is who I am in Christ. This is what I have, a deeply rooted joy that cannot be taken away from me. As Christians, we are called, we always say this, to be light, right? That shines for all to see. They, they need to see our life as a testimony, right? This is what life looks like, living close to Jesus. Now, that is not the case for many believers, and we're going to discover perhaps why. Because as I said, as I started this word, there is a thief who wants to rob you of that very thing that God has given to us to possess. He wants to rob us of that. He doesn't want your life to be radiant. He doesn't want you to have the fragrance of Jesus on your life. He doesn't. If he can oppress you, bring you down, mess with you, and you buy into that, then let me guarantee you, you won't be walking around with abundant joy. You will not. So having established how important abundant joy is, how happy do you think the enemy will, have, will be to, for you to have it, to live in it? I don't think very happy at all. Knowing that your life has an impact on others, those who do not believe. He's not going to be happy with that. The key scripture that I began with was, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy the devil, let me tell you, church, in case you're not aware, right, in case you haven't known this, he would love to steal your joy. He would love to rob you of your joy. He wants to steal what belongs to you. How do I know it belongs to you? Well, in Galatians 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Joy being one of the fruits that we possess. Turn to somebody next to you and say, joy belongs to me. Let them know. Joy belongs to me. But here's the thing. Every day, or most days, I see there are different ways, or I'm going to talk about three ways in which our joy can be stolen. Okay? How, how is our joy stolen? What are, what are three ways that the enemy will employ in order to steal our joy. One of them is the fight of the flesh. The fight of the flesh. Okay. Second one is through the mind. And the third is the very fight for your salvation. There is a fight, believe it or not. If you don't know it, you'll leave this building knowing that there is a fight for your salvation. The fight of the flesh, the mind, and our very salvation. But what I want to show you is I don't want to focus as much on the fight as, as, as much as I want to focus on how 
do we win? How do we ensure that in this fight, we come out as victors, right? Because we are what? More than what? We're more than conquerors. That's what the Word of God says. We are more than conquerors. We're not meant to be oppressed, beaten down. And life will do that to you. If you don't come into life knowing your Word and knowing what God has given in your hands as, as a possession to hold and to be able to execute in moments of difficulty, then you will be beaten down. You will have shackles that you, that you can't shake off. You'll be walking around, head down, right? Many of us might struggle with lifting our hands and praising God because we're, 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 we're hunkered down by what life throws at us. But let me show you Jesus. Let me show you our Savior and how He wins because we cannot learn from anybody better than our Savior. In Matthew 4, 1, it says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry, of course. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. The first little illustration that you can learn from this little passage this temptation was it illustrates the fight of the flesh. Okay. What I'm referring to is the desires of the flesh, right? The Bible speaks about them, the desires of the flesh versus the desires of the spirit, right? When you are saved, when you are born again, you live in the spirit, you live of the spirit, right? But there's always a fight of the flesh. The flesh presents itself. Spirit versus flesh. A fight that confronts us probably, for most of us, well, I'm pretty sure 100%, all of us on a daily basis. The fight of the flesh versus the fight of the spirit. Jesus, in this passage, he's hungry. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. Anyone fasted for 40 days or 40 nights here? Yeah, I haven't as well. <laughs> I could imagine the hunger that Jesus experienced after 40 days and 40 nights. His flesh would have been screaming at him. You know, I remember when my daughter was young, you know, when she was young and she needed mum's nutrition, right? She wouldn't ask politely, but she would demand that, you know, in the middle of the night, in the most inconvenient hour, inconvenient hour of the night, she would demand that mum needs to stop her sleep and come and feed me. That's the kind of demanding I'm talking about that the flesh sometimes demands of us that we act upon it. Jesus is hungry. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. His flesh would have been screaming at him. The devil, the tempter comes and says, hey, I've got a solution. Take this bread. Take this, uh, take this rock and pray over it. Make it bread and there you go. Happy days. At times, our flesh demands that we act upon it. Have you ever had your flesh screaming at you? I know I have. It feels so right to act upon it, but as soon as we do, we lose our joy. How the enemy would love to steal your joy as we fight the flesh, as we sometimes succumb to the desires of the flesh instead of the desires of the spirit. You're having that domestic with your wife and, or your husband, and you know at that moment, it is the perfect comeback. I mean... 
You have the comeback of the year and you are about to annihilate that person because you, you, know, you, you deserve to win and your pride is rising up and, oh man, did you deliver that little line? Oh, did, did you just see the smoke coming off that line? But here's the thing. As soon as you do, what happens? Your joy, your joy is stolen because we're not acting from the place of the spirit, we're acting from the place of the flesh. Peter's betrayal, what a, what a great picture. Well, actually, before that, David's sin with Bathsheba. A moment of pleasure, right? To then see his joy completely gone. David said later on, Restore unto me, what? The joy. The joy of my salvation. Restore unto me because this flesh fight, Succumb to the flesh and joy gone. The tempter will present temptation. And so often it is a, a, a way of stealing our joy. Peter's betrayal. What about that? A classic example of, of a character, Peter, who loved Jesus. He loved him, yet was human and made mistakes, right? Like all of us. One minute he is speaking of his loyalty towards Jesus, and the next minute what happens? He denies Jesus three times. The Bible says that after his blunder, it says what? He wept. He wept. Abundant joy was gone. People that have lived in our you know, contexts, challenges, difficulties, Succumbing to the fight of the flesh, losing, we can see the outcome, joy gone. But what does Jesus do? What does he do to overcome the flesh? Because the devil has come with a clever tactic at a point where he's hungry. Matthew 4 says this, verse 4. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of of God. Jesus defeats the desire of the flesh with the word. Can I tell you something? I don't, you know, we never want to just preach something that just goes over your head and goes, you know, just kind of like, uh, yep, I've heard this before. Pastor Dave preaches this often. Listen, this is Jesus, right? Hungry. He, you know, think about this context. He's, there's, there's a devil tempting him. That's not a nice scenario. There's, a, there's an evil presence, basically, that is coming against him. An evil presence that perhaps some of you may sometimes experience or encounter. An evil presence coming to get him to compromise. right? And in this moment, what does he do? What he does has to be important because he sets an example for you. He sets an example for me. What do we do when confronted with that evil presence, with that tempter that comes at an hour when you're hungry, vulnerable, tired, frustrated, discouraged? What does he do? Jesus pulls out the Word of God. And, and by the way, of course, the Word of God at that point was the law and the prophets. So that's what he was referencing he is the Word, and we know that. Jesus is the Word in 
you know, in flesh is the word, but he goes to the word and he, and he, and he builds his strength to have victory in this moment. I love what the word does. It, it is a, a defeater of the desire of the flesh. It's, it defeats the desires of the flesh. It gives us the ability to overcome and to be strong. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and it's powerful. And obviously it is because we see Jesus overcoming in this moment. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Sharper. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. Some of our hurts and our hang-ups that are deep, 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 that nobody can see on the surface. It goes deeper than that. It goes deeper. And of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word. You know what it does, church? It restores truth back into you. If you've lost your joy, if the abundant joy that is meant to be yours, if it is no longer yours, if you don't feel like you possess it anymore, the word can restore the truth back into you. You might be feeling like Peter, having been overcome by the flesh. It's hard to have abundant joy when you view yourself as a failure because of the mistakes you've made as a disappointment to God, perhaps. Look at me. I'm, I'm not worthy. Hard to have joy in that moment, right? You view yourself as a failure. You've made mistakes. You're a disappointment to God. Allow the truth of the Word of God to wash over you so that your joy can be restored. Can anybody say amen to that? Hopefully this is sitting, reaching somebody this morning. Jesus, the Word in flesh, restores Peter's joy. After the resurrection, we read that Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. And he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Jesus knew that Peter loved him. Of course he did. He knows all things. But the purpose of the conversation was to plant purpose back into Peter's heart, instructing him to feed and to tend the sheep. You are not a disappointment and a failure. This is who you are. You are a rock that I will build my church upon. Get your mind and your, 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 your thoughts out of the gutter. Put them back into what I am saying, the word speaking over him. This is who you are, speaking truth back into the Peter's heart. I could just imagine the joy that returned into Peter's heart, right? And that joy this morning is for you as well. The the flesh. Here's the next fight that I see where our joy can be stolen. It's the fight in Matthew 4, 5. Let's read it. It says this. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. Wow. As I said, he knows, he knows some of the scripture. He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. So he's, this time he's changed his tactic, the deceiver, the tempter. 
the father of lies, changes his tactic and employs the word to coerce Jesus. What a ridiculous temptation. Have you ever thought about that? Chuck yourself off a building? I was uh, yesterday part of the um, moving team uh, to help um, some of the Ryan and Abigail move from one house to the other. And um, I went onto his balcony. And uh, it's about 12 stories high. And I, f- I-, I physically feel the changes in my body when I'm on heights. Like, I'm not, I'm not like, going to run away and hide in a room. But the point is, I feel the adrenaline of, oh, wow, this is, there's, there's danger around. You know what I mean? It's so high. What a ridiculous temptation. Jesus, human, son of God, but human. Hey, jump off the building. Really? But what I see in this next temptation is like, it's like an illustration of the attack of the mind. Where so often our joy is stolen. Your thought process, bombarded with uh, uh, negative thoughts, thoughts that are, are, are crazy, thoughts that are, you know, if you'd utter them to anybody, they'd think you're crazy. The enemy would love to win in that place of your mind, take away your joy. Thoughts of fear, thoughts of worry, the battle of the mind. Here's Jesus. He's hungry. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. I said that before. He is absolutely depleted. Jesus, he was the son of God, but he's still a human. He came to be like us. To exp- he's, he's like no other God. Other gods were advised from other gods what to do and how to do it. He said, no, no, no. I'm going to do it a different way. I'm going to show you. I'm going to come into your world and I'm going to show you what it means to have victory to overcome Satan, to overcome your difficulties and your challenges. I'm going to show you how to do that. He comes in person. But so he still feels what we're feeling. Believe it or not, but I see Jesus in this moment. It's hard to fathom this, but in a vulnerable state, in a place of, it's a challenging place, hungry and physically pushed To his limits, it is at that moment that the enemy believes, wow, this is the moment that I will come and I will say, Jesus, prove yourself. Jump off this building. And of course, we know, by the way, that yes, if Jesus wanted to jump off the building, he could. We know that. right? He he, he raised the dead. He opened blind eyes. He gave hearing to those who could not hear. We know he could do this. But the Bible says this, and this is an encouragement to you and to me, and, and a, 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 I guess not just an encouragement, a, I guess a uh, um, helpful advice, if you will. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If you have been in a season that is difficult, if you have felt oppressed on every single side, if you have felt like there's an attack on the mind, if you have felt like, goodness, when is this thing going to end? Let me tell you something. Be sober and be vigilant. Understand that there is an enemy that would like to take you out. And it's important as believers to know that. So often, when you're in that vulnerable state, when you're at the weakest, 
It's at that moment. You might have heard of bad news. We all do at times. Health crisis, relationship breakup, relational issues within family, within your spouse, within you know, your colleagues at work, whatever it may be, in the moments, financial hardship. I know that's a factor. Moments of vulnerability, moments of weakness. Like I said last week, moments of difficulty. Five kids chucking up nonstop. Loves to come at the moment where it's most challenging and where we are at our weakest. Many Christians, including myself, have at times meditated upon lies, right, instead of the truth. I don't know about you, but I need to remind myself sometimes, what's my meditation? What is my thought process right now? Is it scripture? Is it word? Is it truth? Abundant joy is so often stolen by the wrong patterns of thinking. Thinking. How can I live in the abundant joy when my daily meditation is thoughts of fear, worry, anxious thoughts, thoughts of insecurity. But praise the Lord, hallelujah, that the moments where you're feeling fearful, insecure, whatever you may be feeling, thank you that there is an answer. Our Savior doesn't leave you in the darkness. He doesn't leave you alone. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's what the Scripture says. He will not leave you. He will not abandon you. He will come in your moments of weakness And he shows us again how to win. And let's read Matthew 4, 7. Jesus said to him, it is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. There's an ace card. (laughs) There's a trump card. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, Jesus overcame the devil in this temptation with the truth of the word of God. Listen. Pastor Sue said something so profound last week that I I really loved. She said that when she was a scripture teacher, she had to learn the content. And through the process of learning the content for what she needed to deliver to the kids, she learned scripture. So she knew suddenly, um, God doesn't want me to lie because the scripture says it. I'm encouraging you now, when you know your word, you can pull out your armor, you can pull out your sword and you can cut down and you can go forward in victory, claiming what is yours, coming, coming with full confidence, knowing that the word has given me victory. Jesus overcame the devil in this temptation by the word of God. We need to know our word because how do we overcome in the moment of crisis when we don't even know what we can stand upon, what we can employ in moments of difficulty. Can anybody say amen? You shall know the truth, the Bible says, and the truth shall make you what? Make you free. He doesn't desire for you to be oppressed, depressed, tangled up. No, no, no. He desires for you to live free. The truth is always found in the word of God. Amen. When the enemy attempts to steal your joy through your mind, remind him of this. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says this. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have what? We have the mind of who? We have the mind of Christ. 
remind him, my mind is not scattered. It is not a, 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 a playground for you, devil. No, 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 my mind is the mind of Christ. And I'm going to fill it with truth. I'm going to fill it with scripture in this moment of difficulty. I'm going to fill my mind with truth, overcoming just like Jesus did. Here's the final fight for our joy that I see. Matthew 4, 8 says this, Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. It's that simple. Just stop fighting. Stop opposing what I'm saying. Imagine, Jesus is he's confronting an evil presence in this moment. Just, I've got the solution for you. Stop, stop being submitted to your Father in heaven. Just, just, it's simple. I'll give you all this. Authority, prestige, power. Just do one thing. Bow down to me. Let me say this. Anything that takes priority in your life over the purpose of Jesus will steal your joy. It will steal your joy. The deceiver, he might paint it out as a lovely picture. One that you know, is quite appealing, that might seem like it is the, the easier path. Forget this narrow path. I may as well go down this other path that is much broader, much, it, it fits me better, it's much easier. But I'm telling you something, the deceiver will not tell you that ultimately it will steal not only your joy, it will steal your salvation. In this case, the devil presents Jesus with wealth and fame, as you see. This last temptation is showing us that ultimately he would love to steal your relationship with God. The devil says, just fall down and worship me. It's that simple. And what do you mean by worship, by the way? Do I mean literally fall down? In, 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 in our day and age, it might not be the traditional, I'm lifting my hands towards Satan. I'm talking about other things that exalt themselves above God and that we begin to direct our life upon uh, to follow instead of following Jesus Christ. And soon enough, our loyalty, our allegiance, our faithfulness towards following Jesus is no longer red hot, but we are following something else, another path. That's what the enemy would love to do. But can I ask you, what can compare to knowing Jesus. Now listen, you might not know him, but for those who do, what can compare to knowing Jesus? 1 John 1.3 1, says this, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy might be what? Might be full. It might be full. I'm coming to a close, church, but... A little reminder of the paraphr- I'll paraphrase the story of the prodigal son. Here is a classic example, right? He's at his father's table, enjoying the prosperity of his father, and everything that his father owns is his. There's joy at that table, there's peace at that table. It's family, it's community. Sitting amongst each other, loving each other, fighting every now and again, of course. But they're making up and there's there's a beautiful place of wholeness and fulfillment in the father's house. But what does the prodigal son do? 
lured by the tempter, right? There's something better out there. There is something that's more appealing. There is something that I'm missing out on. And of course, he asks his father, Father, give me the portion of my inheritance. I must go now and I must explore what it is that's better out there. And of course, we know the story. Or if you don't know the story, he goes out and wastes. He's wasteful with his money. He ends up spending his money on wild parties, on, on harlots and different things. And he's left with what? Left with nothing. Nothing. Let me guarantee you something. The enemy will paint a picture. And yet when we follow that path, believing that it's somehow easier, it leads to nothing. And he's at the point where, well, I'll finish the story during the altar call, but praise God, back to the story of Jesus, that Jesus shows us how to win this last time. Our Savior, who better to learn from? In Matthew 4.10, it says this, Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God. That is, he's instructing us this morning. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Only him. This temptation does not work, will not work, will never work. Worship God only. See, church, if we don't know the truth, which is found in the word of God, we become easy prey. We really do. You know, think about, think about we're spoiled as Christians. We have access to our phones. We are able to Google Scripture, right? But even to Google Scripture, you have to know what the Bible says, right? You have to know that, doesn't it say somewhere that, for God so loved the world, and I'll put that in Google and he'll, he'll find it. But this is Jesus Without Google, without any help, he rem- it's a lesson here for you and me. He knows the word. He knows what he needs to stand upon in the moment of difficulty. Question is, do you know? Do you know what you're going to stand upon in the moment of adversity, in the moment of trial? Do you know what artillery is, to, is accessible to you? Do you know? It's there for you. Unless you know, let me tell you something. Let me encourage you and also hopefully instruct us that unless we know, we become easy prey. Because somebody who doesn't know, well, easy to attack. Easy to attack. Our joy is so easily stolen when we don't know what is written in his word. Jesus shows us that. That is what he goes to every single time. Let's learn from Jesus as to what he did when he was faced with a fight against the flesh, his hunger, the picture of the flesh that we fight every single day, against the the mind, the, the narrative that plays and replays in your mind. We need to take a hold of the strongholds in the name of Jesus and bring them to the obedience of Christ Is this in alignment with God's word? No, it's not. It must come to the submission of Jesus Christ and replace it with scripture, with truth, who you are, what he has done in your life. And of course, lastly, the fight 
of the Spirit, your very soul, how we'd love to veer your way. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes as the worship team comes?